Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are back, my friends, with another amazing, wonderful guest today. He is the incoming regional director in the UK and Ireland, a role I used to fill uh, many moons ago. But um, Andres Moral Martin is the most Mancunian Spaniard you will ever meet in your life. He, he had me fooled. Um, I interviewed Andres about oh it must be four years ago three years ago and i literally thought he was actually from manchester but he's actually from spain and you'll know why i believe that when i introduce him so hello andres how are you hello rob it's a pleasure to be here uh yeah thank you so much for having me it's a it's a great pleasure i mean you've always been an inspiration for me so um thank you for inviting me oh it's it's cool i really wanted to talk to you today because you have lots of interesting opinions and hopefully today we can solve the coronavirus, world hunger, <laughs> all disease, all of the physics problems that mankind has identified and we'll take that as a start and we might bring you back for part two and solve all the other problems. How does that sound? Are we up for that? <laughs> and, and, yeah, yeah, I'm up for that. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> No, really, though, I wanted to talk about liberty and so, what, what, freedom and all that sort of stuff, because you've got some interesting opinions in terms of, you know, what a free society looks like. So I was thinking maybe we could r rack your brain, maybe let the people know where you stand in sort of the liberty side. And we're going to get into that whole sides thing. But where do you stand? So, um, oh, where to start? That would be the um, difficult thing. Um, so, I, well, and this is going to trigger a lot of people, but in general, I think, so I, I value freedom in itself and you know, it's, an, it's important to keep in mind, but I do think that life comes before freedom and I am in a bit, in a way, a bit socialist in that regard. I, I do think that freedom is especially important, not only in itself, but because it achieves the best outcome for society. So uh, in that way, I guess I've already triggered half of the uh, libertarian community out there, but I do think that if liberty didn't work at all and we were all miserable, uh, miserable being, uh, being free, then there would be no, no point, I guess. And I think that because we are better and we are we flourish in, in freedom that's what it makes it so special and so so unique that freedom is a value that makes that enables people to or enables society to sort of unlock the creativeness of every single individual and i think that's that's great and that's what made me sort of fall in love with freedom so what you're saying is <laughs> what you're saying is is that you support the lockdown and the government's uh, response at the moment to the current crisis. Okay. Well, before we started to, before we pressed record here, we, I mentioned that um, nuance is important here. So um, getting back to that, I, I just, I'd like to, I think that, um, the lockdown is a very medieval response to the problem, right? 
but I do think that there's a point in the pandemic where there's no other viable solution and a lockdown is necessary. That being said, I do think that the lockdown should be stopped as early as possible. We should be acquiring as many testing, uh, as much tests as possible and testing, testing, testing seems to be the way out, but I'm no expert in this. So um, I'd recommend everyone watching to go to the experts and, and see what they're saying rather than listening to me. But my personal opinion for what that's worth is that testing is the way out getting people back to the workforce as soon as possible is the way out because I just don't, it's not like I don't care about GDP points because I do know that the economy is people and the economy is lives as well. And if people stay in at home, then who's going to like, how will they eat and people will die from it. Like the lockdown will cause people to die. That That's if it goes on, of course, that's a massive problem. And I also value the fact that um, it, it's very threatening towards uh, individual liberties as well, and that's very damaging for every country. But there is a point, I think, if if our countries had responded in a better way, and I think that's the main takeaway from this pandemic, should be looking at the countries that reacted the right way and could effectively avoid lockdown, how they reacted, and learn from that to be ready for the next thing and avoid the lockdown. But I do think that the Spanish government in particular was not only right in imposing the lockdown, I think it was late. It was imposed late. Uh, it should have been before. I mean, I didn't know that myself. I wasn't an expert at the time. So I, I made some foolish assertions myself in the past. And I think that's something that we should all recognize. All of us who said, this is just a flu. I, I do think that's not fair. And, and I myself take it back. Um, so obviously that would mean that the last time we seen each other, you would have canceled uh, Liberty Con. If you had known what you knew, you don't think Liberty Con should have went ahead. <laughs> <laughs> You're putting me on a very particularly Difficult spot here, but yeah. Um, so I didn't Sting know that the at, the time. <laughs> at, at the time. At the time, I, as far as I knew, it was okay, right? Now, knowing what I know, and I think perhaps the government should have known what I know now by then, uh, I would have cancelled Liberty Gun, yes. I do think it was, I wouldn't say it was irresponsible because we didn't know what we know now. I think it was irresponsible not on the part of Isabel, but on the part of um, the government who had access to more detailed information about the whole coronavirus. In the end, we, SFL, were just individuals out there in society. We're not experts in epidemics. We don't know how serious these things are. Of course. I'm not and trying to apportion blame anywhere. people responsible for... <laughs> so, so the people who, who, in a free society should have spoken out and, and sort of, um, so that I'm talking about the media and, and the government, of course, should have uh, shown us and, and actually sent a clear message of, about how important this was and how dangerous it was at the time when they knew it. And I think, in a way, both the government and probably the government also forced uh, part of the media to sort of suppress that story and send the story, it's all okay, 
nothing's going to happen, everything's fine. And I think that was the the, uh, the mistake in the early phases. And that's, I think, the, the, the main lesson from the countries that did it right. And that's a great segue into where I want this conversation to kind of go. Um, with this whole pandemic, the institutions that are responsible for looking after us and looking after society and all of the services and different sectors in society have largely failed and there's been different reasons for that we can say but we're into freedom we're into liberty we're into human flourishing and it's a good point to ask the question are the institutions that we have right now serving that end for us and with like everything that libertarians have been saying over the years what would you point to as this being a learning opportunity to maybe open up the market for more opportunity more choice more consumer uh, ability to make decisions about who gets the services and where they come from there's a big one for you (laughs) yeah so (laughs) it it is it is a very good question and uh, again I don't claim to be an expert on this at all but but as far as I know one of the main issues at the beginning of the crisis seems to be the Chinese government suppressing the story and reacting very late and informing other countries late and and suppressing their own scientists not to tell the world about this new pandemic now when it comes to Europe I do think that uh, apparently, healthcare systems that have uh, more decentralized and less with less government control, and the governments that have enabled private initiative to step in, private enterprise to step in and find solutions, seem to be reacting better. And I do think that letting everyone participate and having a decentralized system of well, not the private enterprise participate in finding solutions is always seems to me a faster way of, of achieving the right goals. Right. I mean, instead of having just one sort of one fits all policy to find solutions for this, have not find solutions. Right. But I do again, think there's, there is a point where, where the situation is just way out of hand and lockdown must be imposed because again it is either that or the whole healthcare system collapses and then everyone a lot of people are going to die because of that and so i'm not saying i'm not saying lockdowns should always be imposed straight away that's the thing you need to do and keep it until everything's passed i think that wouldn't work but i do call for a cost benefit analysis of okay let's Let's stop here. Let's just not be dogmatic about the whole issue and say either there's people on one side who say uh, the economy is the most important thing. You should never stop the economy no matter what. I wouldn't be there, but I also wouldn't be uh, with the people who say uh, that the economy is very, really not important here because it's the lives of people who are, who are the thing that's at stake. So, um, so those people would, would go for, let's fucking lock down for two years and wait until the vaccine comes. And that, 
that I think uh, glosses over the whole point, which is econ- like the economy is us. It's not some mystery thing, like yeah. mysterious thing flying over us. It's, it's you and me doing our, so, so if the, the economy is completely stopped, then there's nothing to keep us uh, alive, really. Like we need to work to produce things that would keep us alive. So, um, so I would try to find a middle way. So I think that's where a cost benefit analysis is very important. See where you reach a point where if people keep coming outside and keep uh, going to work, it's going to kill people than keeping the economy open, then temporary lockdown, I think, becomes necessary. And, and it's the duty of the government to, to impose it. And with that imposition recently, we've seen a development here in Ireland. There was an interesting case last week where a company, a Irish company, Keelings they're called, they couldn't fill positions to pick strawberries and pick berries for the season that's, that's right here and now. So they brought in about 200 Bulgarian people who were willing to do the roles. And a lot of the... A lot of certain people in society thought that that was wrong, that what a reckless thing to do to bring in people from outside. Now, the interesting thing about Bulgaria is it has one of the lowest levels of impact in all of Europe with this. So they're more likely to get infected here because Ireland is, I think, ninth in the charts for Mm -hmm. the uh, worst affected place. So that's the danger. That's the danger of the lockdowns. If you extend them for too long, that you're going to create a swell of people who have this nationalist, protectionist idea. The, like, I'm, I'm largely, I'm totally a globalist. Like, I don't believe that this, the states should be involved in who decides who can work where and do what where. So I'm into the open society but I'm an anarchist. <laughs> That's the way I want it done. I don't want it done with the state making uh, measures. Like, what would you say um, in terms of what is right ethically about about that sort of situation? And has anything like that happened in Spain? So, as far as I'm aware, no, that hasn't happened. Uh, I haven't heard anything of that of the sort in in Spain. I think the the people working in agriculture are still working. They, the whole economy, all non-essential jobs were closed for like a week, if I'm not wrong, during Easter. And it's it's open again now. So in a way, I think it was um, smart to close the whole economy down at that moment because most people were not going to work anyways because it was Easter holidays. It was sort of um, a good coincidence there in terms of doing less, less damage to the economy. I do think that people that uh, have to go to work and and their companies are willing to keep them employed um, they should be free to go to work but all other non-necessary uh, like going outside should be avoided or enforced to stop I do I, I do think that, that that's the right thing to do given the current situation because again I would like to see a system of decentralized hospitals and and decentralized healthcare, but the current situation where we're at 
is we have a set number of hospitals. They're all centrally uh, managed. They're all dependent on the government. And those that weren't are now uh, due to well uh, the alarm state right now in Spain. So, um, so I do think that uh, you are, in a way, if, we're, if we want to talk about sort of um, libertarian terms, right? Uh, by going outside, you are, in a way, violating other people's NAP because you are, there is, a, there is a maximum capacity of hospitals, right? And a person, an individual who's got, say, cancer or something like that, some previous condition that makes them be in a, in a particularly dangerous part of the population, you are doing nothing wrong. You're staying home. You are being careful, right? And there's some other people, some young people and some people that do not care about coronavirus who think, okay, that's only going to kill all people. I'm perfectly fine. I can go outside, right? So those people go out, do their thing, and the people injured stay inside. Now, the people that go outside do get infected, and some hyper, some say, I don't, I don't actually know the numbers, because as I said, I'm no expert in this, but I think some 5 to 10% of people do have serious conditions and need to go to hospital. Now, if that fraction of people going outside is high enough, then the whole healthcare system is is over the over is overcrowded. So the person who was in danger responsibly stayed at home, did nothing. Now his cancer gets worse, and he has no way to get into hospital or be treated as he could have been hadn't those people gone outside. So now he's got no way of treating of treating his cancer mm-hmm. or his previous condition, and he's done nothing wrong. And I do think that the people that went outside, um, in a way, sort of violated his, his NAP. I know it's a very... Um, but can I just push back on that a little bit? Because is it not market failure that has created capacity or the ability to have a market s- sustain the, the population in a reasonable way during times of pandemic? There's regular regulations and stuff that that create yeah. the, the capacity. Yes, so, yes, and I and I and I agree with that in a way. In uh, probably, I think that. Uh, well, I recently read. Uh, well, it was a Twitter thread, to be honest. So I don't know. Oh, that's absolutely verified scientifically. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, uh, it was it was um, about stopping. No, it was Fred Rather from the Consumer Choice Center. Well, it's Fred, was saying smart, that smart man. So, um, and we retweeted it on the SFL UK account. So he was talking about um, about cancer screenings in the UK uh, being halted, and how ho- uh, j- hospitals in Germany that are less than thirty percent owned by the, the government or managed by the government um, were not stopping cancer uh, screenings, and were actually doing a much better job mm. at sort of fun- finding these. I talked uh, at the beginning of our conversation, sort of decentralized responses. So they were finding ways to balance the COVID cases with cancer screenings and keep that going as well. Whereas the um, really socialized medicine uh, system of the UK, the NHS, was not finding that balance because 
well, it's a very centrally managed uh, healthcare system. And I do think that it, it seems to be the case that um, decentralized healthcare systems are reacting in a better way to, to the pandemic than, than centralized socialized medicine. Yeah, like it, it, we're not going to solve the problem today. Unfortunately, I know we promised that we were going to solve the problem today, but we're not going to solve it today. Um, I would love to know where your sort of influences in terms of your whole libertarian leanings come from. Like, when did you start to get into the ideas of liberty and what? who, who would you say are your main influences? Okay, so um, from a personal perspective, and I'd like to start with that because I, I mean, I could just name the big figures, but I don't think I'm at it. That, that would be that interesting. But um, so I was the typical social democrat. I'd say I wasn't. I've had a lot of people coming to libertarianism through Marxism, which is kind of counterintuitive, but that seems to be a thing. But no, my, I'm. I was a um, social democrat person, very moderate, and I do think that in nature I'm a very moderate person. And um, I was one day, so one day a friend came over to visit. I was in my first year at university in Manchester and a friend came over to visit and we went to see Liverpool and we were supposed to do sightseeing and everything. And we did sort of walk around the sites in Liverpool, but we didn't pay any attention at all because he started to sort of tell me about this idea. So he had recently become uh, the... Uh, um, president of the Madrid group, SFR group in Madrid. And, and he was very excited about those ideas. I had never heard about libertarianism or classical liberalism to that, um, when it comes to that. And, and really, I found it fascinating, fascinating. And, and I had never, I especially found it very shocking that no one had told me about those things before. And I had gone through school and like, wow. I was doing physics, like I was an educated person, I think, I would say. And I had never heard about that. So that shocked me. And then I started, well, like, he talked to me about this guy. Um, he's an, a, an economist, a very famous economist in, in Spain. Uh, famous, like he's on TV. And, and a libertarian, Rayo, exactly. I think every Spanish person would mention him when talking about uh, his joining the liberty movement. He was, he's been quite influential in Spain. And so he became my first point of contact with the whole classical liberal libertarian kind of world. I, I was completely addicted for like two months to his like YouTube videos everywhere. Uh, shout out to Spanish libertarian who's a, who does a great channel. Absolutely. Uh, that was, that was probably the first sort of channel that I followed on YouTube that got me into it. And, and then after that, I started reading and, learning about well, not make the jump from the Spanish-speaking world to the English-speaking world, sort of reading Whitman and Hayek and, and that sort of thing. And, and then I, I applied to become a local coordinator in Manchester, which, which was um, interesting. I sort of, I didn't see myself as, a, as an outgoing person, so I found it sort of difficult to create a group in Manchester, but... Um, I decided to apply anyways because uh, I, I, like SFL seemed Students for Liberty seemed very like a very interesting group to join and and fun and my friend was so passionate about it that he sort of transmitted that to me, 
And, and I said, yeah, okay, let's, let's apply. And I was way over, like way past my comfort zone, but I decided to do it anyway. And that's where I met a very important person in my life who's, uh, who I'm having the pleasure to speak to right now. Amazing. Uh, <laughs> and you interviewed me and I joined SFL and I'm now regional director for UK and Ireland. And it's that's a pleasure to be. <laughs> fantastic. That really warms my heart to, to hear you say that. Um, those are lovely words. But one thing I've, has always struck me about you is that you've got a very considered view on a lot of things like a lot of the issues that libertarians would would consider you've you're able to um flesh out the nuances and really consider both sides which is what we were talking about earlier a lot of people just are in this whole thing to be right. God damn it, I have to be right. There's people in the world that are wrong. I need to fix them. I need to fix their opinions. But you come at it very measuredly. And maybe we can take a, um, a look at what it is that influences that within you. What, where, yeah. where would you say the whole morality and the ethics comes from in terms of how you consider different issues? Well, I think that people really take... I mean, in my particular case, I'm probably the way I am because of two main factors, which are I'm very, well, I'm educated in sciences and the other is that I live with a socialist. So those two <laughs> things coming together uh, make me the person I am nowadays, which is um, from a scientific point of view, you should try to look at problems as and by as you can be and you're always going to be biased but sort of try to think where what so as you would do in chess when you're playing chess you sort of think what the other person is going to say what want going to respond to your move to consider whether your move's right or wrong so in that same way i'd say that it is a very good thing to do to actually try to um think what that other person that say marxist would reply to your point to the point you're making now and actually, actually yeah yeah exactly and and i think empathy is very important in in this issue sort of and and it makes you be able to explore the ideas farther that you than you would otherwise be able to because um you're able to get into the mind of the person in front of you and think what would this person say and not take it as so if you completely dismiss their point don't listen to them. You're going with a, I'm going, I need to win this conversation kind of attitude that that's just useless. Like you're in it to learn and grow. Right. And if you Some just start, and, well, that you should be, that's, yeah. that's my I agree. point. I agree. And I take this from like, from this sort of scientific kind of way of thinking about things. And I think it's very important. I think that perhaps scientific, um, education normally is taken to be like learn how things i don't know how the world works and how atoms uh behave or the structure of the atom or whatever and i don't think that's the most important takeaway from from science at all i think it's the way of thinking really that's the most important thing to to teach and i think that's where we're going wrong perhaps if we get into 
education. I think that we are putting too much emphasis on on kids learning specific facts. Conclusions. And I think that's completely yeah. yeah. And that I think that's useless. It's it'd be much more interesting to take them through the path that actual scientists went through. Sort of like so we knew this, this and this, and from this we can conclude that. Right. And so you end the lesson with this question mark. And I think that ending in a question mark is always very important because it leaves you sort of room to think on your like on your own. And I think that, that being able to do that is always very important if you're learning. So if you're learning a science right now, I think that going for the unanswered questions is always the way to go because you get the feeling of what's actually like to be a scientist it's not about learning that is once i've reached the limit how do i go on from there how do i so so that kind of that particular way of thinking i think is the where my whole where the way i think about everything else in life and i think that's something everyone should should learn and should be taught at, at school and the other part is that I live with socialists and I think that's a very useful exercise, really. Like if you're not tolerant and if people normally tell you that you're not actually listening, a good exercise is to talk to people that don't agree with you. Yeah. And I think that people should do that as often as possible. But there's a caveat there. It's not just talking to them. You have to listen to what they're saying and actually understand where they're coming from because I, I, I think it's very very difficult to be completely wrong about something. I think you actually have to be trying to be wrong about every single thing to be actually wrong. I think that there's some truth to everyone's concerns. And, oh, yeah. and I think that, that, that listening to other people can show you where you're perhaps lacking or where you're wrong. And, and yeah, so listening is, is a very, very important part of, of self and of, of reason in general and learning about your own biases and and the things that you might have not considered because you haven't experienced everything so so you don't know about about every single thing and talking to other people makes you get a feeling of other people's experiences and that expands your your worldview i think and that's important when you're considering politics or economics or all of these sort of global issues absolutely before we press record we were talking about religion and atheism and i was asking you about the importance of being skeptical about anything like what do human beings really know and what can we know and you know this is always one of these issues that gets people into those really passionate arguments because you know uh, religion is a is an issue that people it's a core belief it's a core fundament of who they are and what they're about in the world and i know that studying physics gives people an interesting look on the world and how it was created and all those different theories so tell us what your your experience has been and did you grow up religious or are you religious i grew up uh, in a Catholic family, I was uh, raised Catholic, and I was Catholic until some six years ago, perhaps, well, past five, 
something like that. Um, I'm no longer Catholic. I consider myself an atheist. Atheist agnostic could be, but I, I prefer the term atheist really because it's less misleading. When I say agnostic, people tend to think that I'm sort of in a midway mm. or like sort of like, no, I, yeah, could be. It's, it's not exactly that. So I think atheist makes it more clear where I stand because I think that there's two separate problems here. There's whether there's the problem of existence and there's the problem of knowledge. And, and a lot of um, philosophers have talked about this. And um, so there's existence as in, does God exist? Yes or no. And there's knowledge as in, can we actually reach that question from reason or not? And I think most people, Catholics and atheists included, um, both think that it is not a question for reason to answer. So that would be the agnostic position. But from that agnostic position, you can either choose to live as if he existed, so saying yes to the existence problem, so saying I, I, I believe in God, but I believe that we cannot know it from reason. I think that's faith, right? So that's what a lot of Catholics would say. So they're agnostics, but they are believers. They are theists. I'm an agnostic, but I'm an atheist because I don't think I can know it through reason. And on top of that, I don't think there are any evidence. I, I choose to not uh, accept faith as a valid uh, source of knowledge. So... Um, so I'm an atheist and I'm agnostic and that's two separate things. But if I just say agnostic, it tends to mislead people. So yeah. And I don't know if, that, if there were more questions in your initial. Yeah. Like what comes <laughs> to mind with that is I, I've got a lot of objectivists in my ear um, who would be potentially asking you a few questions now. Like, I don't know if you're familiar with Rand or if you're interested in objectivism. I've, What's your opinion there? I've read, um, um, yeah, I was talking about empathy before, and I think that, uh, I, I don't know about Ayn Rand personally, but a lot of objectivists perhaps, uh, I think could use a bit more empathy in my view, but not all of them. There are, I've met some very nice people uh, that are objectivists, of course, but the whole ideology, in my opinion, lacks a regard for, for for humanity in, in the way I see it. And I wouldn't agree with with some of the things she says, but I do in general kind of feel inspired by her writings and I do find some truth about, I don't know, I read, I read the uh, virtual selfishness a while back and I wouldn't agree with it, with the whole thing, but, but there are some very inspiring things she says uh, and, uh, and I do agree that people should um, lead their lives regarding their own um, rational self-interest. I do think there's a lot of misconceptions there mm. uh, in terms of confusing the kind of hedonistic yeah. self-interest people often think about and the rational self-interest that Brand would talk about. And yeah, in general, yeah, um, I'm not opposed radically in any way to... to um, to objectivism, but I wouldn't consider myself an objectivist. No. That's 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 a good way to be uh, open-minded. 
and reading widely. Tell us this now. There's always this discussion that goes on in libertarian circles around open borders. And at the moment, it looks like no borders are open anywhere. Um, but let's, let's pretend that this whole farce is over uh, pretty soon. Do you see a problem uh, arising for the open border cohort of people? You know, do, do you see yeah, yeah. borders opening again, first of all? And, and yes. how should society, in your view, be organized in terms of borders? Okay, so um, there's mainly two questions there. Uh, first of all, how do I see this whole thing going? Mm. Um, I really agree with um, Dr. Steve Davis on this one. We had him on our yeah. webinars a couple of weeks back. Check that uh, out. I'll actually link it down below in the description. That was brilliant. And uh, yeah, I think he's, he's exactly right. And he's been talking about this um, realignment uh, happening now in the uh, political landscape. That, and he's been talking about that way before the coronavirus crisis. But as he says, he thinks that the coronavirus crisis is accelerating this whole process. And that the whole, the next divide will not be so much the one we had before where economics was the central thing, but uh, we're going to go into a more so, sort of the nationalists on one side and the globalists on the other. And I would find myself in the globalist camp. I mean, I'm a pro-open bo pro borders person. I do think that um, no government has the right to tell someone where they can go or not go. I don't think that's fair. But it's not only that. It's not just... I don't generally like this kind of dogmatic arguments as in like no government has the right to talk that, but that is one thing we need to add another thing, which is open borders, I think actually have proven to work. And I think that there's a lot of like, well, if you listen to Brian Kaplan or this open borders economist, they show the case why we're missing so much opportunities to grow and to expand our economies because we're not letting people free to move around and do their best. There's a lot of productivity being locked away in, in countries that have not yet had the chance to develop. And those people are not having the chances to, they're not, they're, they're, they're still tied down. They could come here to parts of the world that have already developed while their own are still being developed, they could come here and completely unlock their productivity in in a similar way as we saw back in the uh, industrial revolution. And I think that's just an opportunity that we're missing, and we're just sort of too egotistical in a way, and and looking at our own sort of sort of interest, but it's not really our interest. It's a mistaking. Mm -hmm. Like we think that, that it is our interest, but it's a complete sort of Yeah, it's, it's, it's zero right? sum, right? It's it's a lot of people with a yeah, zero sum. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's exactly that. That's zero sum mentality that a lot of people is very dangerous in, in, in politics. And yeah, I completely, completely agree with that, yeah. Let's take some of the other interesting topics. Where do you stand on drugs? legalization, decriminalization, 
should there be laws? Do you think so certain again, drugs should be legal? There's two arguments. So yeah. There's two arguments again that I think are very powerful. But um, so there's the I think that no government should be able to tell uh, no one what he can or cannot do with his own life and his own body. And if I want to sell drugs, I should be able to, right? As long as I'm not sort of lying about the content of what I'm selling, mm -hmm. I'm actually telling you what I'm selling and you're buying and you're informed and we both agree it's a win-win situation. Voluntary. There should be nothing wrong, right? Yeah. So, um, so that's that part of the argument, right? The government shouldn't be able to. But I think on top of that, again, it's also important to show that it actually would improve the situation we have right now, right? And I think that that is very important, saying it's not only that it is our right, but that it also, on top of that, it also makes the whole situation better, right? And I do think that's the case, and we've seen that in countries that have decriminalized the uh, use of drugs. I think that people take harder drugs because they're not, that, that they're all illegal, and they keep going for sort of cheaper alternatives uh, yeah. that can, you know, that, that can get you buzzed the head. Yeah, buzzed uh, with a, but by paying less, right? And that, I think that's, that's just, um, it, it, I think it, it is the government's prohibition that it's leading people towards that, that risk, that horrible, yeah. yeah, and that fall into the whole, I don't know, into the deeper drugs, the, um, the harder drugs. Yes, yes, and in, in, a, in a continuous fall to more dangerous drugs. I think that's completely immoral. I think also there's a huge problem, particularly in this state, in the United States, with people being in prison for just selling marijuana, which in my yeah. view is completely absurd. I think that in this particular regard, governments are really showing how behind they are with current opinion and the climate of opinion right now. I, but I do think that marijuana will be legalized in in a shorter time scale. I, don't, I wouldn't know whether it's five years or it's 10 years, but I do expect to see that in my life. And with regards to the rest of the drugs, I don't know, but I do think that, that they should, I, I, I think that even from a very social democratic perspective, we should be looking at this issue and saying these are people that are not criminals. They are victims of their own addiction. And instead of, if we are going to spend public money on this, it shouldn't be on like going after them. It should be going to help them mm -hmm. overcome this. And if we spent that same budget, or although we could use it a lot less and be more efficient, but if we were to use that same budget instead of going after the people who sell drugs and we legalize that, And better drugs and we sort of use that money to let to educate people in the use of drugs tell them what and let them sort of socially find their own limits which is why drinking in spain for example which is a culture that has drunk for a long time we've evolved in a way as a society to sort of know our limits and i think that's something that we're being 
uh, sort of stopped from by our governments sort of developing that know your limits mm -hmm. and and generating a healthy culture really around drugs and about the around the drugs that can be used for a beneficial end and those that are dangerous for you and that's that's I think that should be a response that comes from civil society, not from government. Oh, I love that. I like that. I absolutely agree. I love that. Tell us this. Tell us what's in store for the people now that you're uh, at the helm um, in the UK. You have some interesting things up your sleeve now with everybody at home. There's a few interesting guests that you've lined up. Tell the people who the uh, SFL UK team are going to be interviewing over the next while. You're putting me here on the spot again. because This is going to be released in, in about three days, so don't worry. <laughs> okay. Well, we are going to be interviewing Dave, Dave Rubin, and we're very pleased to announce that. Uh, amazing. It's been a lot of work, and it's amazing to, to have him. He's going to come on Friday the 8th of May to, at 5 p.m. Uh, UK time to talk about his new and first book, uh, don't burn this book, which you can all go and buy right now, and where he talks about uh, the importance of standing your ground and defending classical liberal values while we still can. And we're actually collaborating with our great partners at the BCA, the British Conservation Alliance, on this event, and will be host hosted by their by their founder and president, uh, Chris Bernard, or Barnard, sorry, and. <laughs> And um, and he will also add in some questions about the environment and see what what Dave thinks about the whole issue. Amazing. And and yeah, it's great. We're going to have a lot of um, very interesting speakers for the rest of the month. We are going to have that Wednesday before, so the sixth. We're going to um, be joined by Dr. Victoria Bateman who's going to talk about feminism and liberalism, which should be a fairly interesting and perhaps for some controversial topic. And also we're going to be having Matt, Rid Matt Ridley mm. join us to talk about how innovation works and why it flourishes under freedom. That will happen the 18th of May and a lot of, a lot of, uh, very interesting speakers that will be announcing on Saturday. Well, actually, if this is coming out later than that, then <laughs> it will have already happened, I yeah. guess. But yeah. Yeah, amazing. I'm looking forward to that. I'm well done. Like I know you've put a lot of work into getting some of those big names together. So are you enjoying the role? Yeah, yeah, it's 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 been great. I mean Receiving some, some of the confirmations was very, very exciting. I mean, just going to your, to your teammates and saying, hey, mate, this just happened. They said yes. <laughs> I mean, it's one of the best feelings. So, so if you don't know how that feels like, join SFL right now. Yeah, give the pitch <laughs> for SFL. What, why should people join SFL, do you think? I mean, there's basically two reasons. If you care about liberty you should join us because it's your chance to do something for it in your own local community. There's a, there's a second, perhaps more selfish, what's in it for you uh, kind of pitch that's, it literally gives you so many opportunities. It makes you a better leader. 
I wasn't, I didn't even think that I was a leader before and now I'm regional director and I'm getting people like Dave Rubin to come talk to us, right? Amazing. Uh, that's kind of incredible and helping organize events like LibertyCon or like perhaps future conferences in the UK. Uh, and I mean, it's just a wonderful feeling like when you get to do something that you previously thought wasn't possible for you. And you get to meet so many interesting people that are just going through that same path and or people that are way more ahead of you in that regard. And you can learn from and you get also this huge network of, of people who are willing to help you out. And it's just incredible. It's an incredible experience, really. So I would I would very much recommend it to to anyone who's who's watching and who's been thinking about it. Do not hesitate just uh, apply right now really and if you're in the uk or in ireland you can shoot me a message if you want a martin at studentsforliberty.org and i'll be more than happy to talk to you amazing andres it's been a pleasure thank you for joining me today we will talk well, to each other very soon oh, you're very welcome <laughs> uh, maybe we'll do it again sometime sure sure i mean if it's been interesting for your audience i'll be glad to come back Amazing. Maybe we can talk about physics and string theory and all that weird stuff that I have no idea about. <laughs> sure thing, yeah. Amazing. Okay, folks. Okay. Talk to you all soon next time. Bye.